So here we are. Well, good morning, everybody. This, that is always fun for me. That is really a joy um, every year to see these, these seniors, and uh, they're trying to decide if they're going to sit through this again or not. If you do, I'll, I'll use different jokes. No, no, there you go. Um, we, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 8. We're going to continue with our series in the book of Luke. And you know, one thing we talked about last week is just as we kind of focus in on our our students and, and graduating students this, this week. Last week we were talking about the, the fact that in Scripture, Jesus always created these teachable moments. And so a lot of the, the stories that we hear, the things that we see that happened in Scripture were done very intentionally. They were done to communicate something about God's character, something about ourselves that we could learn. And so these aren't some random stories that have no connection to reality. And, and so even as last week we talked about when we're raising our kids, often we're looking for those teachable moments and those experiences along the way that you look back and they remind you of something and they, they teach something. And so when we get to these stories in the book of Luke, we're kind of in a section where God is, uh, it, the writer here, Luke, is showing us a few stories in the life of Jesus that each communicate something about his character. And it's really almost like a little mini three-part series. Last week was part one. We'll get you caught up to speed if you missed it, but this week it continues on. So before we jump into the text, pray with me so that we can understand it more, and uh, we'll jump right in. Lord God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you again for our students. I thank you for the signs of life everywhere, Um, and I thank you now as we look into your word, Lord. Would you speak to us and teach us, And, and Lord, help us to see you more clearly, to understand who you are, and to understand your heart for us, and understand your character. And so, God, we give you this time now and thank you for this and ask that you move in this place. In your name, amen. So Luke chapter 8, here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to read the whole story. And, and if you are not familiar with this story, maybe you're new to scripture, and, and you're here, this is one of those stories that a couple summers ago, we did a series called Things That Make You Go, Hmm? Um, this story is one of those. If you read it and you're not familiar with it, you might read it and just think, what in the world is going on? So we recognize that. So if this is new to you, just kind of listen, and then we'll put some context to it. And For those of you who maybe you've read this time and time again, we want to really ask the question, what is this really about? Why is this story in here? So Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26, uh, as I said, I'm going to read it and then we'll circle back around and understand it. It says this, Then they, talking about Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus came onto land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. And who had not put on any clothing for a long time. And he was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him. And he said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For, he'd been command- for Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles, and he was kept under guard. And yet he'd break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him to command them not to go away into the abyss. Now, there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored Jesus to permit them to enter into the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 
When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran and reported it to the city and out into the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked Jesus to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Okay, any questions? We're clear? Just, we're good, right? <laughs> yeah, so this is one of those stories that if you're reading through, if you're familiar with it, perhaps you just read over it and think, okay, interesting, and you keep going. If you're not familiar with it, you scratch your head and say, skip it, move on, I don't get this. But we want to understand this in context, because there's a lot that's happening here, and, and it's pretty, uh, it's actually a really remarkable story, which we'll unpack here. Uh, first of all, uh, let's go back a little bit to last week. If you remember last week, the big context, the things that we have to remember are that Jesus, this begins with Jesus crossing the lake and going to the other side of the lake. And what we talked about last week was the fact that going from the, what was considered Galilee, where a lot of the ministry of Jesus happens, where the Jews lived and it was a very uh, a, a devout region, crossing to the other side of the lake, they were crossing into a region that was actually non-Jewish. And it was a region that was, oh, I'm losing them, left and right, look at that. We're crossing, just kidding. So I get to mess with them, they're graduating, I get to mess with them. So they're crossing out into a region that was very non-Jewish. And going into a part of the country where they were not worshiping God, they were not followers of Jesus. They were not followers of Yahweh. And, and so moving over to the other side of the lake, it's significant that we understand it was a Greek city. And, and a Roman city, and that the gods that they worshipped there were, were Greek gods and Roman gods, and they were worshipping the Caesar, and so that's the other side of the lake. So when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, the disciples were filled with fear. They thought, Jesus, we don't go to the other side of the lake. That's not where we go. And so then, last week, we saw this big storm kind of rages in the Sea of Galilee, which would be common in the afternoon as the wind whips up. But their fear was God is punishing us, and we are going to drown. And it's interesting, it'll come up today, but their thought was that in the middle of the sea was called the abyss. And that's God uses it to punish you. And so they thought, we are going to die, and we are going to drown here until God, Jesus stands up in the boat, and he speaks and calms the waves. And then he sits back down and says, where's your faith? Why don't you believe who I really am? And that was last week's story. Now, to understand this week's story, they get to the other side of the lake. So they get to the non-Jewish side of the lake. And they show up here, and, and they're met by a man from the tombs. Now, a few things that you need to understand. In the other side of the lake, as I said, uh, where the Greek gods, I, I have some more pictures for you, those of you who like this history, archaeology. So the first one here, this is where they discovered, actually, uh, the Greek god Pan was worshipped there. Pan, uh, the one on the left is Pan. And, and so this was actually just discovered two years ago in a city called Hippos on the other side of the lake. So we're still getting more information about this region. So this is the Greek god Pan. Uh, the next slide uh, shows it a little more clearly after they cleaned it up. 
After you, and, and so you can see there, now Pan is the one, you can see the little beard, and, and this picture is hard, but it has the two little goat horns. So Pan is, is Tumnus from Chronicles of Narnia. So he's half goat, half man. And, and that's the, the God, and it's where the Greeks got their word panic. So he was a god of the woods, and also he, he started to take on a whole lot of other um, understandings. And even in Greek mythology, Pan was known to stir up and cause roaring waves in the sea and create these wind and noise that would terrify people out in the sea. In the Battle of Marathon, they said that they actually attribute some of the victory to Pan, who uh, stirred up the sea. Uh, and, and so Pan was one where panic comes from. And also, Pan, if, if you remember in the, chron- in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Tumnus is playing this little flute thing, Pan uh, was known to go down into the reeds and grab it and make this little flute out of the reeds, and that was used to seduce people. And so there was a sexual undertone with Pan as well. And the worship of Pan often included uh, a, a lot of sexual immorality and things like that. On the other side of the lake is what's happening. Now, the other thing that we have on the other side of the lake is called the region of the Decapolis. Decapolis is ten cities, and we uh, know where most of those are to this day, but still discovering and learning more and more about it. Just this one of these cities, the one right here, which is on the shore of the lake, uh, where Pan was found. Stay there on that side. That's perfect. Uh, But we find that they found a temple to the god Pan. And now here, this is called the city of Bet-Shane. And this one is... uh, mentioned that this is the city where this guy from the tombs comes from and where they send him back to. Um, so this is called, the, the, in the region of Decapolis, this is in Israel to, the, to, the, to this day. And this is a very, you can see, it has this Greco-Roman architecture and Greco-Roman style. In this city, uh, the, the preferred god of this city was Dionysus. And Dionysus is a Greek god, actually was known as the son of God. Dionysus was the son of Zeus. Um, and actually at some point in his life when he was in the womb was actually sewed into the thigh of Zeus. I know, I don't get it either. But so, um, but, that, but that was, Dionysus was known as the son of God. He was a god of wine and fertility. And uh, so Dionysus was worshipped in this city, the city that this man came from. And, and also there they have the temple, all of these had temples to Caesar because the Roman imperial cult was a big deal as well. And so throughout the Roman Empire, they built temples and they worshipped Caesar. At this time, it was Caesar Tiberius. And part of it was they would declare Caesar as Lord and God. So this is all the things that are happening on the other side of the lake. You have the god Pan, who creates panic and fear, and, and you have fertility. You have this fear of the ocean and the way, I mean, of the sea and of the woods. You have uh, Dionysus, so you have the fertility, the son of God. You have all these things that are being worshipped in all this imagery. Uh, we have one other photo of Bet-Shane there, too, as well. So you can see the, the Roman architecture, and this was the largest of the city in the regions where this man came from. Um, also, right outside another city near there called Gadara, these are all separated pretty close together. Um, it was, there's a series of tombs that people actually live in today. They live in, there's a couple hundred tombs um, carved into the side of the mountain, and that's in modern-day Jordan. And so all of this is in the region where we're talking about. So keep that context in mind. Now, one other thing to keep in mind is this region, not only is it called the other side of the lake, but the Jews came to believe this area 
because it was an area filled with all the kind of pagan nations in their mind, was they believed that this is where a lot of the, the, tri- the people who left the promised land when the Israelites came into, where they went and fled to. And so, in, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, at the very beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 7, it, God is speaking to the Israelites and said, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess, and he clears away the many nations before you, he mentions seven different nations, Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, you know, all those, any Amorites in here? Uh, all, of, all of these, he mentions seven nations. And then he goes on and says, God's going to bring you into that land. Don't acclimate with them. Don't synchronize your faith with them. And in verse 4, he says, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 4, he says, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he'll quickly destroy you. So what they were warned is, hey, you're going to enter into the land where these seven nations exist, but don't, we want to drive them out. In that case was because they, they, part of their worship was pagan worship. That those seven tribes had human sacrifice. There was a lot of uh, sexual undertones to their worship. So all of this that to the Jews was actually taking life from people, not giving life. And, and so in that region now, these seven nations, when they were driven out, and of course they weren't all driven out of the nation of Israel, but they, the Jews believed at the time of Christ that in the Decapolis, this is where the seven nations ended up, where a lot of those people. In fact, so much so that it was often referred to as the land of the seven. And the seven means those seven nations. Now, you hear that today, but in two weeks from now, that's going to be a really important fact, but we'll get back to it. It comes up again in the story of Scripture. It's pretty cool. So this is what the Jews believe about this area. This is what the disciples think about the Decapolis and this region. So now, with that in mind, let's go back to the story. Because that is the world, that is the land that they are now landed on the shore with all of that context, with all of those other gods, with, that, with the idea that, oh, these are the people that we're supposed to not synchronize with, we're not supposed to take their faith, we're supposed to be careful of the way and who they worship, because they'll turn our hearts away. So Jesus now shows up on the other side of the lake, and he's met by a man Possessed with demons. Now, this, this sermon today is not about demons. And you might say, okay, Ryan, I, I don't really understand this. And all we can say is for this story is in the ancient world, it was pretty well understood that there's spiritual forces of good and evil. And, and he's here talking about some sort of the spiritual evil forces and demons that possessed them. Now, in modern Western world today, we don't often, you know, we think of this kind of stuff and think, oh, that's just old wives' tales or myths and things like that. We have our terminology for it of, well, we don't believe this kind of stuff. It's magic and it's whatever. But actually, if you travel outside of the Western world, a lot of the world still has no problem believing in the existence of spiritual forces. And so here, the scripture, the story's not about the demons, but it's about something more. So he shows up and there's a man possessed with demons. Now look at the very first thing he says. Seeing Jesus, he cried out in a voice and fell before him and said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now notice the significance of that statement. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, he's coming from the city where they worship Dionysus, who is known as the Son of the High God Zeus. But he comes and actually falls on his feet and face before Jesus. Now, the other cool thing that Luke does in telling these stories is this is the very first uh, 
quote. This is something that someone says other than the narrator. And notice the very, go up to the story last week. And the last thing that anyone says, according to Luke, was after Jesus calms the storm in verse 25, the disciples looked at each other and say, who then is this? That this guy commands even the winds and water and they obey him. And then the very next statement in scripture, this guy possessed by demons says, Jesus, the son of the most high God. The one who actually answers their question of who is this guy? Who is Jesus? The disciples were wondering who he was and it was answered in the very next statement made by anybody. Jesus, the son of the most high God. He, had very, he was clear on who Jesus was. And then he says, I beg you, do not torment me. I love this little section because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It seems strange that here's Jesus, the son of the most high God, having a conversation with a guy or these demons. And they say, don't torment me. And Jesus is like, okay, so tell me your name. You know, I mean, what are they just sitting down? Let's go, let's go hang out at Starbucks for a minute and let's get to know each other. You know, but he, he asked him, what is your name? Now that has something to do with in the ancient world where you'd ask someone's name because then it you have authority. You can proclaim authority over the person. Uh, it, it was this ancient thing. And so Jesus said, what's your name? And the guy explains to him. He says, my name's Legion, for we are many demons. Now, a legion in the Roman army was probably anywhere between two to 4,000 soldiers. Does that mean that there was two or 4,000 demons in the sky? We don't really know. All we really know is there was many. And I, I don't know, is like more than one too much? I don't know in, in this case. But... So there was many. Now, notice a couple things about this guy. People, he, he was bound with chains, and it seems to be to protect himself. In fact, in the book of Mark, as Mark describes a story in chapter 5, he gives us a couple more uh, details, and said that he was known to cut himself with rocks, which was part of a pagan worship. But so he was bound with chains to protect himself, but it didn't seem like anyone was actually afraid of this man, except for they were maybe creeped out by him, but they were saying like, hey, we know him, he's, he's you know, a danger to himself, he lives among the tombs, though. he doesn't hurt us. And so we tie him up to try to protect him, he kept breaking that, but now he has this encounter with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, don't torment us. And Jesus says, okay, so what's your name? They gave him the name, and then they were imploring him, in verse 31, to command them not to go away into the abyss. Now, again, last week, the fear of the disciples were that when they were crossing the, the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a lake was their, the Jewish uh, belief that the middle of the lake was the entrance to the abyss. And so they were afraid of the abyss last week. The disciples were. And they thought when the storm came up that God was punishing them. And they said, please don't let us drown. Don't take us down into the abyss. Now this very next week, the demons are telling Jesus, hey, don't send us to the abyss. Now their belief as far as the spiritual world and demons, uh, the Jews believed that the, uh, a demon could be destroyed if they were sent into the abyss. Either they'd cease to exist or they'd be locked up forever. And that's part of their, uh, some of their just, their beliefs, not necessarily that they pulled out of scripture, but it was just the common belief of the day. So, they say, don't let us go into the, the abyss. Now, verse 32, now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons asked Jesus if they could go into the swine. Again, seems strange, right? They're like, hey, Jesus, okay, so you're going to cast this out of this guy. Let us go at least over there to the pigs. 
I don't know. This is bizarre. I don't know why. This is, just seems like the funniest conversation that Jesus ever had with someone. Now, something about pigs you got to understand. To the Jewish nation, pigs were unclean animals. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't eat them. They wouldn't be near them. So the fact that there was a herd of pigs there, again, demonstrates that it's in a Greek region. Archaeology has confirmed that there was many pigs in there. Now, pigs were also used in the worship of Dionysus. They would sacrifice the pigs, and then they would eat them. And so it was very common that they would use these pigs, and, and so they didn't want to waste the food they sacrificed. They would actually eat it. And that's why when Paul writes throughout some of his letters, sometimes he says, don't eat food sacrificed to idols because it may cause other people to stumble. They might, think, they might confuse what you're doing with the worship of those gods. And, and, and so that goes to this. So they would sacrifice these pigs, and then they would eat them, which is a very unclean and pagan thing to do to the Jews. They would think, what? So there's herd of swine that was used for the sacrifice and worship of these gods. These demons say, let us go into the pigs. So Jesus says, great idea. Sure, I give you permission. So he does. And the demons come out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Notice the one thing they didn't want to do was to be thrown into the abyss. They wanted to go into the pigs, so Jesus sent them into the pigs, and the pigs brought them to the abyss. Hmm. And uh, May Chan told me after first service, she said, this is where we get the word suicide. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. One first, I, I was like, I better not say it. I had to. All right. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> That's how you know you're a dad. Okay, so. <laughs> so when the herdsmen now saw the pig, they saw what happened. They ran away and reported it to the country. And the people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus. They found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting in his right mind. Now, here's the picture now. Could you imagine if you were in the herdsmen? Your job is to keep these pigs, and they were used to, to feed the city, to worship these gods, and you're watching this demon, all of a sudden, all the pigs run into the lake and die. And you go to your boss and you say, um, okay, so I got a funniest thing happened today. <laughs> There's this guy, Jesus, and you know. But they run and they say, this guy, Jesus, came. And the demon-possessed man came to him and fell at his feet and proclaimed that he was the son of the most high God. And the craziest thing happened is, that guy got well, and all of our pigs just ran into the sea and died. How do we explain this? So everyone came running out to see Jesus. And this is one of the things, one of the lessons that we find here in this story is this, is that we find that this story is about the authority of Jesus. You see, last week, it was about the authority of Jesus over the natural world, over the wind and the waves. This week, it's a story of Jesus and his authority over the supernatural world. He's coming as Jesus, the son of the most high God. And it's interesting here that even the demons understand who he is. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 19, I have it on the screen for you, says this, you believe that God is one, you do that as well, because the demons also believe that and shudder. See, there was a belief here. The demons understood who Jesus was. They understood that there was no power in the name of Dionysus. They understood there was no power in the name of Zeus or of Pan. They understood the actual natural or the workings of the supernatural world. 
And they understood that now they were in the presence of the Son of the Most High God. They were clear. The disciples were unclear, but they were becoming clear. Now the whole town just sees that Jesus just proclaimed His authority over all the false gods, over all the worship of the false gods, over all their claims to deity has just been rushed into the sea and taken to the abyss. Jesus proclaimed, no, 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 I am Lord over all with this moment. See, it's not just a story, some random story of pigs running in the sea. This is a big moment. And as everyone came out, they recognized what was going on. And they were filled with fear. Notice that. Their response wasn't, oh, this is amazing. He healed this guy. They were filled with fear and they said, Jesus, would you please get out of here? We're afraid. What are our gods going to think? The gods that we worship, the gods that we bow to, the ones that we turn to to give us our hope. What does that say about them? Jesus, we're afraid. Would you just leave? Would you just leave? Now, for many of us here today, I don't know how many of you struggle with the worship of Dionysus or the worship of Pan or Zeus or Caesar. But let's not for a moment pretend that we don't have gods. We don't have the small g gods in our life. We all have them in our lives. For you, maybe it's money, financial security. Maybe it's sexual fulfillment. Maybe it's materialism and the need to have more and more for some sort of to make you feel better, to make you feel like you fit in. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your power. Maybe you bow to the God of fear and Pan is actually a part of your life and you don't even know it. And you walk and you are giving authority, authority to other gods throughout your day. What are the gods in your life that you keep thinking have more authority than Jesus Christ? See, this story reminds us that there is no other name. There is nothing on heaven or on earth anywhere above the name of Jesus. He has more authority than anything going on in your life right now. That's a good time for someone to give me some, some amen or something. You know, There is nothing else in your life that is greater than Jesus. Nothing. It feels that way sometimes. Some of you are here and you say, I'm struggling with an addiction that there's no, I don't know. It has a hold of my life. I'm never going to get out of this. And Jesus says, I'm above that. I don't know what your journey is going to look like to break that and to get out of it. But you need to begin with the belief that Jesus is above everything in your life. He has authority over all. Authority over all. We're reminded that of this story. He wants us to know that from this story. Here's the other thing that we see in this story is notice the people come out and they say, Jesus, we're filled with fear. Would you just leave? Just leave. But the man in verse 38 from whom the demons had gone was begging Jesus and saying, begging that he might accompany him. Jesus, you just changed my life. You just saved me. You just gave me hope. You took me from a life of, of hopelessness and despair, and now you've given me something to live for. Let me come with you. Let me come with you. There's nowhere else where I can find life. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus says, no, not yet. Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things God had done for him. 
He said, go. Now, notice this one little textual difference here. Then a lot of times when Jesus heals people, he says, hey, don't go telling anyone about this. And the reason he often says that in the Jewish world is because they had all these messianic beliefs. And he didn't want people to think the Messiah was just coming to perform miracles and to be some sort of miracle worker for them. So in the Jewish world, he was saying, no, you have to understand that the Messiah is here as the Son of God come to redeem you. And so he said, don't go telling them about all the miracles because then people are only going to want miracles. It's interesting here in the pagan side of the lake, he says, go tell everyone what God has done for you. It's the opposite. Because he wants them to know your gods didn't do this. Your gods brought you to a place of hopelessness. But the son of the most high God, go tell him. Go tell him what God has done for you. So he sends them away. And we learn the second lesson in this story, I think, is the story of redemption. See, this is the heart of God. He wants to take that, those of us who are broken, who are lonely, who are lost, Every one of us, and he wants to bring us into a friendship with him. He wants to restore his broken creation. You see, because of sin, we suffer in a world filled with pain and hurt, sadness. But God wants to bring wholeness to our lives. He wants to bring that completeness that only comes from him. And so here we find that no one is out of the reach of God. Notice what the demon-possessed man did to earn Jesus' redemption and healing. What did he do? Nothing. He did nothing. See, it's a story of the good news again. The good news is that Jesus comes because of his love and his grace and meets us where we're at and he enters into our mess and he is the one who shapes us and changes us. That's the story of redemption here. We find that in the life of Paul, in the beginning of 1 Timothy, when he says, hey, he took me who was undeserving because of his great love for me. He saved me. And now he's using me to, cha- to make a difference in the lives of others. And we see that with this man. Jesus sends him away and says, go tell people what God has done for you. I want to show you one other thing. In the book of Mark, chapter 5. So one book over to the left, if you're new with scripture, tells the same story. But there's some, uh, he adds just a, a couple different details. But in Mark, chapter 5, at the end of it, in verse 20, At the end of the story, in verse 20, Jesus says, Go and report what great things the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And in verse 20, The man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Okay, so let's just have it there. So Jesus sent, the people of the region of Decapolis said, Jesus, we don't want you here, leave. So he leaves. But the man from Decapolis stays. And he goes in and he starts sharing about what Jesus did. Now turn over to Mark chapter 8, really quickly at the very beginning. Actually, uh, chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 31. It says, again, Jesus went out of the region of Tyre. Tyre. He went from Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, which within the region of Decapolis. So Jesus now, who knows, a couple months, a couple weeks, a year later, is now going back to the Decapolis again. And now notice what happens. He got there and they brought to him someone who is deaf, who spoke with difficulty. They implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him from the crowd by himself. So what we have is Jesus comes back to the Decapolis and now instead of people saying, get out of here, people are saying, 
Jesus has returned. The guy who's made it, we heard about him from the man from Decapolis. So when Jesus comes back, the crowds flock to him. And we find that 4,000 people or more come to him in, in the region of Decapolis, right there in chapter 8. So now the man's story has taken hold. One life that was changed, transformed, went to tell the story of Jesus. And now thousands are coming to hear and to see. We invite the worship team to start making their way back. This story reminds us that God wants to take us in our brokenness, in our pain, in our hurt, with our doubts, with our questions. And he wants to proclaim authority over all things in your life. He wants you to know that you can be free from all those things. And then secondly, he wants to let you know that you, as a changed person, can be one who brings that message of Jesus to the people in your lives when they see your life change. Now, for many of us, hopefully, it's not because people say, oh, I remember when you had thousands of demons in you. (laughs) But maybe it's, oh, I remember when you used to be a jerk. I remember when you really struggled with patience. I remember when you were so selfish and materialistic. But God got a hold of your life, and now I look at you, and you're changed. And see, what that does is it points people to Jesus. It reminds them of the good news that he takes us as broken people and makes something new out of us. And then he sends us back to our people so they can see the glory of God in our lives. That's what this story is about. And so as we end here in this time, we're going to end by just proclaiming who Jesus is and being reminded that he has authority over all things in our lives. But for some of you here today, just I want you to encourage you to take a moment and think of what are the small g gods in your life that keep telling you that they have more power over your life than Jesus. And we want to surrender those in this place this morning. It might be fear. It might be some self-centered stuff. It might be substance abuse. I don't know what it is. The need for approval. What are the small g gods that you need to surrender this morning and say, Jesus, I, I need you to have authority over these. And then let that change in you be what the world sees. So let's end our time with prayer. God, we thank you for this reminder in this story that there is nothing that has more authority than you that you are the name above all names. And Lord, right now we come to you and every one of us comes to you with things that we fight with, that want to claim your rightful throne in our lives. We all come to you with the small g gods who fight with you and want to to be worshipped. And so Lord, we want to surrender those to you. And I pray for everyone in here this morning. Whatever their issues are, Lord, would you give us the faith to trust who you say you are. Would you give us the faith to believe, even as the demons did, that you are the Son of the Most High? There is no other God other than you. And Lord, so we surrender all the things in our lives that fight for your rightful throne. And Lord, now would you receive our praise as our declaration of who you are in our lives. And so we thank you now and ask that you continue to move.